Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Restore, renew, rebuild. Can we just say those three words, restore, renew, rebuild together? Ready? Restore, renew, rebuild. The prayer of our hearts, Lord, primarily in us, restore, renew, and rebuild. Thank you that you're on a never-ending quest for your children to look like you, and you've outfitted us to that end. And God, as we are experiencing healing, use us to heal others and other systems in our community that are broken. Bring us across people who need to hear the good news that you're for them, you love them, you desire to lead them. Lord, as we dig into your word, I'm trusting Jesus, you're going to come right through these pages of Nehemiah 4 and display who you are so that we can leave with hope and a renewed commitment to your restoration, renewal, and rebuilding process in and through our lives. You must increase. We must decrease. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? How many Patriot fans in the house? Oh, wow, a few. We'll pray for you. How many Eagles fans? Yeah, awesome. Hey, um, great to be with you. My name's Gary. I've been on staff here for a while. It's just good to be with you. Let me ask you a question as we dig in. How many of you have ever felt overwhelmed, intimidated, or discouraged? Identify, right? How about this past week? How many of you felt, don't raise your hands, discouraged in your job? Discouraged with your kids? Kids, how many of you felt discouraged with your parents? Uh, how many felt discouraged with your spouse? Raise, no, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Now imagine having that emotion on the largest stage of the world with 114 million people watching you. The stage of the Super Bowl. A short, a series of shorts have been released via Facebook called Tom versus Time. And uh, it talks about last year's Super Bowl, Tom Brady, quarterback for the Patriots. Last year's Super Bowl, when the Patriots took a nosedive only to be at halftime losing by 25 points. Okay, watch this. It takes us inside the head of Tom Brady and his discouragement. Watch this. 
So this is a lot of stuff that Belichick talks about in team meetings that I write down. These are kind of his themes. So I'll read you some of them. Prepare and play well. Super Bowl environment is all about hype and ridiculous bull that will go on. It's a great week. It's about competition. The two best teams on the biggest stage, the team that wins is the one that works the hardest. There's a warrior spirit about me. I'm always in competition with myself. You're representing a lot of people out there when you go out and play a game. And when you let people down, that's a very tough feeling to keep inside. Brady steps up in inside. Freeman, what a cut. Touchdown, Atlanta. And so pass is caught for the touchdown, Austin Hooper. You know, to go in the Super Bowl and be losing by 25 points, that hurts really bad. Falcons overload the right side of the Patriots offensive line. Pass is picked. The guy made a good play. I went and I tried to dive for the guy, made the tackle, and then I kind of got up and looked and knew no one was catching him. And I was thinking, if we lose the game, this will be the play. You know, if we lose, this is what will define this game. I can relate in so many ways in whatever battles I'm facing. I'm not Tom Brady, obviously, not in the Super Bowl. But there's times when you feel like you're taking your hits. There's times when expectations don't meet what you hope they would be. There's times when you feel like the opposition is winning. And you're letting yourself down, and you're letting so many other people down. You've done all the training. You've read the, the game sheet before the big game. And you go in, and it's not going the way you planned it. Can anyone relate to that sort of thing? That's exactly where we are in Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Meta read it. Look at verse 6. It says, so we rebuilt the wall. It's on the screen too, too. Till all of it reached half its height. The word half its height in Hebrew is Super Bowl. No, I'm just kidding. Stop. Okay. They're at halftime though, right? It says, for all the people worked with all their heart. All their heart. Halfway done. Still a lot of rubble. It's halftime and they're facing fierce opposition. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because the reality is every act of spiritual renewal, every spiritual endeavor you take, as noble as it is, will face opposition. Regardless if it's a great cause, like what we're endeavoring to do as a church, move the needle from 3% of our peninsula, knowing and following Jesus, to 10%, the opposition is fierce regardless of how great the cause is. I don't care if it's literacy, homelessness, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, coming alongside a school, whether it's for the restoration of your own character, the rebuilding of your own finances, the rebuilding of relationships with people that matter the most to you, your parents, your spouse, your kids, the renewal of your spiritual life. Opposition is inevitable. Seven times in the book of Nehemiah, seven times, we get a progress report in the first six chapters of how the wall's going. And every time we get a progress report in the book, there's a quick statement of how that progress is opposed. It's paired every time in the book because it's bringing out this very spiritual principle. We're not in heaven yet. Life is not opposition free. Can someone talk back to me? Amen. So in what area of restoration 
<clears throat> are you facing opposition? Where are you discouraged today? Where does it feel like it's halftime and you're down 25 points? And most importantly, what are you going to do about it? Nehemiah 4, let's see what they did about it. I think this will come a great, great encouragement. Page one, what is the opposition Nehemiah faced? Maybe you can uh, identify with some of these. First, ridicule. Ridicule. Has anyone ever been ridiculed for engaging in a noble cause? Uh, someone once wisely said, ridicule is a substitute for reason. When your opposition can't reason with you, they'll just ridicule you. Look how it plays out. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Are you all there? Okay, good. Me too. When Sanballat, by the way, you know what Sanballat, true story, what his name means in Hebrew? Enemy in disguise. Enemy in disguise. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was greatly incensed. Here's the word. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. He said, who are these feeble, that's a word in the Hebrew for a wilting plant, an unwatered plant. You know, it's lost its strength. It's just bending over. Who are these feeble Jews? What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? No one said they're going to finish in a day. Can they bring stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, this guy in the book reminds me of, uh, has anyone seen Beauty and the Beast? Uh, you know you have Gaston and you have his sidekick, LeFou. This reminds me of LeFou, okay? That's Tobiah. Uh, he was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down these walls of stone. Now remember, this is a two and a half mile wall, 40 feet high, eight feet deep. And LeFou is saying, even a fox would build, build, crush the walls, okay? Do you see the ridicule? Now, where's the ridicule targeted? Where it's always targeted. Your identity. The identity of the church. The identity of the cause. They're saying, you don't have what it takes. I put in your notes where Satan did that very thing to Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. I've got some fresh manna for you today. This is what I picked up this morning in my own quiet time, okay? My time alone with the Lord early this morning. Close your eyes. This was not in the notes up till 6 a.m. this morning. Just listen to these words around identity. I read it over our staff. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. It's a fact that you and I are in an endless conversation with ourselves. Every day you preach to yourself some kind of gospel, either a false, I can't do this gospel, or the true, I have all I need in Christ gospel. What have you been saying to you? What have you been saying to you about yourself? What have you been saying to you about your God? What have you been saying to you about your life, your meaning, your purpose, what's right, wrong, true, false, good, bad? Now listen to this. Today when it feels as if no one understands, what gospel will you preach to you? As you face physical sickness, the loss of a job, the disloyalty of a friend, what message will you bring to you? When you're tempted to give way to despondency or fear, 
what will you say to you? When life seems hard or unfair, what gospel will you preach to you? When parenting or marriage seems difficult or overwhelming, what will you share with you? When your dreams elude your grasp, what will you say to you? When you face disease that you thought you'd never face, what gospel will you preach to you? That's good, isn't it? See, the enemy would want to come alongside and just give you a subtle lie in the first person, in the I statement. It's not you, it's not from God, it's from the enemy. And we make subtle agreements with it, and then it starts to take root in our lives. Opposition. They're ridiculing here. And the target of the opposition, the ground zero, if I can use that term, of the opposition, is your identity. My identity. You don't have what it takes. It's a half-truth. We don't. But in Christ, we do. Amen? Then look at this. There's resistance. Not only ridicule, resistance. Verse 7 and 8. But when Sanballat, page 2, and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and all the people of Ashdod heard about the repairs of the Jerusalem walls. Barney, can you go to the next slide? I want you to see uh, geographically what's going on. So look at your Bible and look up at the screen. Nehemiah is describing a complete surrounding of Jerusalem. These enemies who are normally enemies of each other are coming together and being unified and moving in closer and closer to strangle Jerusalem. The gaps were being closed. They were angry. Verse 8, they all plotted together. The enemies came together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble against it. Now it's getting real. These external pressures are amplifying an internal weakness. Dust is everywhere. They're trying to rebuild a wall. They still see a lot of rubble and just a little bit of wall. And now the enemies are surrounding, getting closer and closer and closer and closer, ridiculing, ridiculing. See, when you begin to look at your resources instead of your identity, that is a recipe for failure 100% of the time. They're looking and seeing rubble, and over the rubble, they see the, the dust of an enemy coming. They're like, oh my gosh, we can't do this. And they're forgetting God called them to this. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like that? On December 1st, oh, first of all, why would they do this? Because they realize these enemies, they benefit from the rubble. They don't benefit from a rebuilt Jerusalem and a prospering Jerusalem. Some of you face that as you're experiencing unhealth emotionally or you're, um, you're dependent chemically on things. As you start to get healthy, people around you liked you unhealthy. Their world was better for you unhealthy. In a cultural sense, our culture thrives on unhealth in many ways. And your health is going to ruin their profit. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's what's going on here. They love Jerusalem and rubble. They don't want a healthy Jerusalem. Uh, I'm reading a great missionary biography. She would not call herself a missionary, but it's the biography of Rosa Parks. Anyone ever heard of her? Um, and on December 1st, 1955, after a tiring day of work, Rosa Parks took a seat 
in the designated colored section of the bus. She was not sitting in the white section. That was new learning for me, reading this biography, in Montgomery, Alabama. Because when the white section filled up, the rule was the people in the colored section had to move back further, even though they were in the colored section. She refused, as you know. She was arrested and jailed. Civil rights activists organized a one-day bus boycott the day of her trial. And when they started the boycott, a citywide, it shut down the buses because the bus system didn't realize that it thrived because colored people were on the bus, even though they were made to sit in the back. They saw what this happened in a local pastor, maybe you've heard of him, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He said, we should do this again. That boycott lasted 381 days. And African-Americans, many of who had to sacrifice because of the boycott, had to walk long distances because they wouldn't take the bus anymore and exert incredible energy to get to their destination. They comprised the majority of the bus system and their boycott shut down the bus system of Montgomery, Alabama and kicked off a civil rights movement that gave equal rights to all citizens. See, the city thrived on the rubble and when health started to come, the city started to shut down. So you see that opposition, okay? There's ridicule, there's resistance. Maybe you face that in the character issue that you're trying to renew, restore, rebuild, or uh, something you're fighting for in a larger cultural issue in our city, or a good cause that you're called to a ministry here, many of our ministries. Quickly, let's look at the effect of the opposition. I really want to look at the strategy, but let's take two minutes here, verse 10 to 11. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labor is getting out. That's called fatigue. Uh, giving out literally means to stumble, to stagger. Their forward progress was being stopped. They were experiencing fatigue. When you're tired, everything looks impossible. When you're tired, you are super sensitized to criticism. It was that great theologian, the Super Bowl winning coach, Vince Lombardi, who said, fatigue makes enemies of us all. Oh, sorry, cowards of us all. I have a slide of that. Can you put that up so I make sure I get it right? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Slide's not coming. Let me make sure. Yes, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Then look at this. Look, it doesn't stop there. There is so much rubble. That's frustration. That's frustration. Yes, there's a lot of rubble. All they can see is the rubble. What they're not seeing is the progress. They've come halfway. That should be celebrated, right? And by the way, I find the halfway point, this is the hardest time of any renewal restoration process. You've come far, but all you can see is how far you have to go. They have a wall half built. It's uh, 20 feet high. It might be four feet thick. Maybe they've gone a, a mile around, but they go, oh my gosh, all we see is rubble. That's frustration. And then it keeps going. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. We cannot rebuild the wall. That's failure. And I think the most important word there, we cannot rebuild the wall, is the word we. We can't do this. Someone else should have done this. Someone else is better equipped to do this. What was I thinking that I could enter in such sobriety? What was I thinking 
that I could reconcile this relationship? What was I thinking that I'd make a difference in the student's life that I'm reading to for an hour a week to help them gain in the area of illiteracy? I can't do this. This is for someone else. I'm just a failure. That's what's behind that. And the last one you see there is fear. We'll kill them. This isn't what I signed up for. And you see later on the text, 10 times they recited that. 10 times over and over and over again. You've been there, right, in discouragement. Every step you take, you hear the enemy's voice. Every step you can't do this. Every step this is a failure. Every step this is a dumb cause. Am I the only one? Yeah. See how we can relate to this? And it's a good cause. It's a God cause. But even God causes, especially God causes, are opposed. So the question is, what did Nehemiah do? Really important. Page three. I hope you never lose page three. What do you do when you face opposition? Here's the first. He released it to God. This guy goes to prayer time and time again. It's his default mode. That convicts me in the causes that I'm engaging in. Go to prayer first, prayer throughout. Look what he says in verse four. Hear us, O God. We're despised. Turn there, and, and you'll notice some real raw authenticity. I love that. I love that. He's just unfiltered here. It's that kind of intimacy that he has with God. He knows he can say anything, and God will correct him. God will work this out, but here's what's on my heart. What parent does not want to know what's deep inside the recesses of their child's heart? God is the best parent. He wants to know that. So he comes unfiltered. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt. It's what I feel like, he's saying. Blot out their sins from your sight. For they've thrown insult in the face of the builders. I wrote in my notes, don't take it out on people. Talk it out with God. So important. So important. And this was the core, as I'm reading this, of the Rosa Parks' life. She wrote in this biography, uh, she didn't know if she was chosen by God to become the mother of the civil rights movement. But what she could say nearly four decades after she changed the course of U.S. history was that her refusal to give up her seat was an act of faith, not defiance. She said every day before supper, we went to service, uh, we would pray. And my family went to services on Sunday. And my grandma would read the Bible to me. And my grandfather would pray over us. We had devotions before going to pick the cotton in the fields. Prayer in the Bible became part of my everyday thought and belief. I'm going to say that again. Prayer in the Bible became a part of my everyday thought and belief. I learned to put my trust in God and to seek him as my strength. God did away with all my fears. By the way, we have prayer nights we're starting to integrate and we're, we have not done well with this, but we're trying to integrate prayer more and more into the corporate life of PCC. You have a bless card and a bless insert again in your notes so that we can bless people closer to Jesus by praying for them. We encourage you, fill those out. Turn in part of that so we could pray with you for your people. You'll hear of two prayer nights a month 
that are happening around here. A corporate prayer night where we pray for our city. A healing prayer night where we pray for the brokenness inside people. We are trying and endeavoring to integrate prayer more and more into what we do. The first thing he did was release it to God. The second thing he did was reinforce his weakness. You're going to see an amazing interplay here between the sovereignty of God and the free will of human beings. It's not like he just stayed on his knees and prayed. At some point, he got up, continued praying, and went to work. I'm just going to say this. Passivity rarely, rarely, rarely brings you the results that you want in your rebuilding effort. Rarely. In your own life. um, In your own spiritual development. In your neighborhood, passivity just won't do. In your marriage, in your parenting, we have five daughters and God's given us the stewardship of these girls. We pray for them a ton. But God also gives us the responsibility to love them, to speak into them, to pray over them, to read scriptures with them. That's our job. Prayer alone just won't work these days for good parenting, right? building our marriage. Go on. Look at verse 9. Look at this. Key verse. Reinforce your weakness. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night against this threat. Do you see the, the interplay between sovereignty of God and the free will of humans? We're surrounded by enemies. We're going to pray. And God gave us a brain. We're posting a guard. Uh, I see this in my own life, in my own development. I need to post guards in the areas of weakness. I need to expose them to my wife. I need to expose them to trusted brothers. I need to ask for prayer. I need to put up hedges. We need to pray and post a guard. Someone taught me 35 years ago when I was on the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. I've never forgotten this. It was before a day of prayer. Uh, Three lines, prayer works, prayer is work, prayer leads to work. Prayer works, yes it does. Can I get an amen? Amen. Prayer is work, can I get an amen on that? That's why you don't pray more, that's why I don't pray more, I'm lazy. It's work, it was work when the alarm went off this morning. And I want to stay with Pastor Pillow (laughs) in the Church of the Holy Sheets. (laughs) I've always faced opposition, wanting to go to prayer. When, I'm, when someone says, pray, hey, will you pray for this? There's always a check in my spirit of when I'm supposed to, let me stop. Okay, let's pray right now. There's a check in that. Prayer is work. And then prayer leads to work. Rosa Parks says, what went through her mind when she refused to give up her seat? Quote, since I've always been a strong believer in God, I knew that he was with me, and that only he could get me through that next step. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. Amazing, amazing, amazing. This, by the way, demands a huge degree of self-awareness. Slowing down. Leading your own soul. Knowing who you are. And it's so worth it, men and women, to grow in Christ and to be the robust human beings that God calls you to be. St. Irenaeus, who lived in the 4th century, said this, The glory of God is a man or a woman fully alive. It's what our culture needs. The greatest asset this church has is you, fully alive, Monday through Saturday. Not you fully alive just on a Sunday. We expect you to be drained here. 
This is where we're going to fill you and get focused on God. We're going to sing a mighty fortress is our God. And we're going to leave here changed. And then you live fully alive out there, moment by moment, abiding in Christ, preaching the gospel to yourself. It's what we need. Amen? I love that. So know yourself. Know where you're weak. And then he renews his mind. Look, this is my favorite passage of the book. I know I only have four minutes. I'm going to take a little bit longer to get through this passage. Amen? Thank you. I picture Nehemiah climbing up on the rubble, on the wall, saying, excuse me, excuse me, I have something to say right now. And everyone gathered around him and him making this heroic speech. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, we met these people last week, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, by the way, circle the word afraid there in your Bible. Do you guys have Bibles? Yeah? Good, awesome. Circle it in the Pew Bible. It'll help the 11 o'clock service, okay? <laughs> Afraid of them? Remember the Lord who's great and, what's the next word? Awesome. Circle the word awesome. You ready? Everybody? Yeah. Same word in the Hebrew. Same word in the Hebrew. Afraid and awesome. What Nehemiah is saying is this. You're driven by fear. You just have the wrong fear. You're afraid of the enemy you should be afraid of God and fear God because he is awesome. He'll fight for us. He's bigger than our enemies. He's bigger than this wall. He's bigger than our rubble. The problem is not that you're afraid. You have the wrong fears, displaced. You're afraid of them. Fear God. Be in awe of our incredible God. He will fight for us. Look at this. Uh, and fight. Fight for what? Now he's reaching for a motive here. Uh, you know, all of us have motives that will take us through our comfort zone. Uh, I don't care who you are. If I told you I'd give you $10 million to do what you thought was impossible, run a marathon. You'd be like, I'd do it for 10 million bucks. I'll, I'll die on the marathon trail. It's worth it, right? He's reaching for a motive that will take them out of paralysis. What's that for you? Here's what he reaches for them. Your legacy. The story you're writing. Do you really want the end of your story to be that you gave up, he's saying? That you quit? That you were, were mired in compromise? Fight! Fight for your families. Fight for your sons and daughters. Fight for your spouses, for them and be their wives. Fight for your homes. He's saying there's a greater cause here. And if we die, we die, but we die living for the right thing. I love this. What's he saying? Remember God's power. Usually I forget that. I want you to see something like you're going to have a fear. I'd rather you choose to focus on the awesome God and his power and then realize what's at stake. The word fight there means to sacrifice, to take risk. Literally in the Hebrew, it means to come to blows. Too many of us don't do that. Spiritually. We don't get up and, and put on our armor and 
turn to our kids or turn to our spouse or turn to our neighborhood or turn to a city where 50% of the third graders are below level readers and say, we're coming to blows. PCC's in the house. The church is unleashed. Pick your cause. So much of this outline is broken. The walls are broken. When it comes to your kid's faith or your grandkid's faith or your great-grandkid's faith, kids that aren't even alive yet, come to blows in the spirit realm. Fight. When it comes to your own sobriety or your own development of character, getting rid of that anger issue, getting rid of your bitterness, getting rid of your passivity, fight. Remember that God, who is great and awesome, and realize so much is at stake. Listen, Nehemiah is saying we may or may not get this wall built, but I promise you one thing. Passivity will never get the wall built. Better to exert ourselves than to stay passive. You know, when I was in the library typing this out, this next paragraph came to mind. I believe it's from the Spirit of God. For some of you, the whole reason God brought you here was for this very point. You've given up. And there's just been a glimpse and a glimmer and an ember of hope that's risen up in this message. We thought, oh, just maybe God knows where I'm at. Just maybe God knows and, and understands. There is so much at stake, men and women. Your character, your legacy, the reputation of Jesus, your marriage, your kids' health. You don't keep fighting, you'll lose so much. Everything's at stake. Don't give up. Don't give up. Remember, God is for you. God has equipped you. Your brothers and sisters are here to fight for you and with you as well. Don't give up. So the beginning of the chapter, it's halftime. They're down 25 points. They're paralyzed. They're thinking this is going to be a terrible end to the game. By the end of the chapter, like the Patriots last year, they're on the winning side. Look at verse 15. Meta read it. When our enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God frustrated it, we return to the wall, each to his own work. Last quote, Rosa Parks. She said, you know what? It was time for someone to stand up, or in my case, sit down, and I refused to move. Oh God, give us that kind of holy ambition, of holy discontent. I'm grateful that it's not a seat on a bus anymore. But whatever it is for us, this personal application, Lord, it could be a character issue. Someone in here right now is fighting a character issue and they came in discouraged, despondent, wanting to give up. Lord, whether it's around this vision and, and uh, embracing this community so that 3% goes to 10%, whether it's our neighborhood and these bless cards. And we prayed name by name for years and it seems like nothing's happening. And we just want to give up and say, what's the point? It could be a prodigal that we prayed for for decades or years or months. 
and it looks bleak. All we see is rubble in that person's life that we love and we want to give up. Holy Spirit, may these words resonate with us. May the gospel that we preach to ourselves be one that represents an empty cross, an empty tomb, and all authority on heaven and earth being given to us. And may we encourage each other. Bring application, Lord. We love you. Can you just tell Jesus that? I love you. Say it again. Love you, Jesus. Use our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.